Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. The Well Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds by acting as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can check it out right now and subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Valentine's Day as we record. Happy Valentine's. Spoiler alert, that means that we are definitely recording on a Tuesday this week. (laughs) I don't think that needs to be a big trade secret. Not really. But uh, yeah, we happen to be recording on a day of romance, which is perhaps appropriate for For the the chapter. uh, Maybe kind of a little at the end. (laughs) But uh, definitely love is in the air. Yes. Not super much in our house, admittedly. Not really. Not any more than the normal amount of love that's in the air. It's true. We don't make a big deal out of Valentine's Day in our house. Not particularly. Not particularly. We actually started dating literally decades ago. (laughs) Uh, On the 10th of February, we decided was our first official date. Yes. And so it was very close to Valentine's Day. And as such, we made kind of a conscious decision early on to celebrate our dateiversary. Yeah, instead of Valentine's Day. Which, I mean, means that it immediately devalued Valentine's Day for us. It just never was a big deal. But also, it meant that when we wanted to do something around Valentine's Day, we were always a week early. So we got in before all the big rush. Yeah, right? So we can always get a dinner reservation because we're not going on Valentine's Day. Exactly. Right? Always worked out. The chocolates are already out if we wanted some. Yeah. And that's kind of carried through, even though we are now married and have a, a wedding anniversary. Yeah. Well, our wedding anniversary, though, is in the fall. Yeah. Right? So it's not an even, like, six months apart split, but there's enough distance that we get a dateiversary and an anniversary. Yeah. So Valentine's Day has never really been a thing that we collectively have celebrated traditionally. Yeah. It's not a big holiday for us. Yeah. I mean, we'll still wish people a happy Valentine's Day, the people we love and care about. We'll still get a little something for the kids. Yeah. And if Valentine's Day is a big deal for you... Power to you. Yeah. Right? Go all out. Buy into it. It's it's lovely. Indeed. You celebrate love the best way you know how. Yeah. But uh, with that said, we'll uh, segue smoothly. <laughs> Very smoothly. Into a brief recap of our previous chapter in which uh, Addie is given the opportunity to have an initial chat with Dom who puts on quite a show trying to impress her. She gets taken ultimately up to her quarters where she is given the opportunity to bathe, then decides that she will join the elves for dinner. And that leads us into chapter 22 of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. So Addie begins by getting changed. Not quite the makeover makeover scene that I was anticipating. No, she doesn't get like help with elves like doing her hair and right? stuff. Right? No. There are not like lady attendants, you know, 
grooming her and washing her and dressing her. There's an interesting point early in the chapter that jumped out at me where she's deciding whether or not she wants to put back on her fatigues. Right. Because it demonstrates how conflicted she is with this situation. And it speaks to a conflict within herself that I don't think she's actually really consciously aware of at the moment, which is that she recognizes that by putting on the elf stuff, she's kind of self-identifying more with the elves. But there's a part of her which is like, I should put on the fatigues because that's me. Yeah. It's like, I'm I'm not of this island, yeah. right? Like, not even in the I don't work here way. Mm-hmm. I can see where she's conflicted. Yeah. I think is what I'm trying to get at. She wants so badly for this to be real and to be part of this and for this to be a real life fantasy for her to indulge in. And at the same time, she knows why she's there. Yeah. She knows what she's supposed to be doing. And again, there's also that little pang of conflicted emotion when she's like, the fatigues kind of identify me as part of the mercenary team. Am I part of the mercenary team? Are those my people? Or are these my people? It's it's a conflict that she's been dealing with for a lot of this book so far. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, the thing that tips her over is the fact that the fatigues are grungy and dirty and haven't been cleaned. Let's be honest. Would you want to put on the same underwear that you've been wearing for three days? No. So she goes with the elven dress. Though she goes out of her way to pick the simplest thing that they had available for yeah. her. This is the running theme for the first half of this chapter. You can actually watch her willpower dwindle as the chapter goes on, Mm -hmm. right? Which is a a documented real thing. Like, you only have a finite amount of willpower. Mm -hmm. And as things chip away at it, it gets harder and harder and harder to say no to something that you want, right? Mm -hmm. So you can tell she doesn't want to. But she, but she doesn't not want to. But she to. doesn't not want to. Yeah. So her compromise is that she'll pick the least lavish dress, right? The simplest one, but it's clean, right? I think that's how she's justifying it in her mind. We didn't, it absolutely is how we she's don't, justifying it. We don't get that inner monologue, but you can tell. It's like, okay, well, I just want to wear something clean and pretty. This is the least like garish one. We'll do that. She doesn't have to go to dinner, right? She could have dinner in her room alone and not partake with these people, Uh, But she goes. She does. She doesn't have to go to dinner, but she does. And that is where she goes next. Uh, She makes her way down to dinner where the elves have all assembled. She gets her first glimpse of the entire design team. Yeah. Dom, of course, has his position as kind of Lord of the Elves. She notes most of the other design team members also have elven ears. Like surgical elven ears. Makes a mental note that they could also cosplay as Vulcans that way. (laughs) So, and, And thinks that's a very logical thing to have done. I mean, if those are your crossover fandoms. Um, and is invited to join them. And uh, vittles begin to get circulated around. It's all very elven food. Yeah, it's all like finger food. And it's like bread and honey and olives. And it's all kind of decadent. Oh, yeah. And, the, right? and mead is served to drink, so very sweet. This is Nita's running theme through the chapter. The number of times I screamed at her in my head, girlfriend, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you've been screaming that at her for about three chapters now. It gets louder. It gets so much louder in this chapter. Addie begins to drink heavily. Girlfriend, no! She has like two or three glasses of mead right off the go to kind of settle her nerves. On the one hand, this makes her more pliable. But on the other hand, it also makes her more 
confrontational. <laughs> and it makes for an awkward dinner because on the one hand, she is very much the guest of honor. Dom makes it very clear she is their guest of honor. The elves are treating her with a certain level of reverence, though she gets the some Im- of them don't like that. impression that some of them aren't, aren't so happy with it. And some of them maybe are a little disappointed with her because she's been built up yeah, and by then Dom this is... as his great lost Lenore. Well, he's been touting her... As he, as she exists in, in his, his mind, mind yeah. right? This fantasy Addie. And then they get the real Addie and she's not the same. She's, she's like drunk and belligerent. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say belligerent. She is a little because oh. she, she is confrontational at dinner because. A little bit. I mean, she sees the cracks in the facade and she's trying to talk some sense into these people and failing miserably because she's gotten herself inebriated. Well, it's not that she wants to talk sense. It's that she's asking questions. Pointed questions that clearly some of these people have not asked themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Or that they just don't like. Oh, definitely some of them don't like. Dom actually opens with a toast to like the superiority of his little elven nation, which (laughs) she finds very off-putting. I would have as well. And essentially is kind of like declaring preemptive victory in whatever his scheme is here. Well, Which he's is, got his trophy now, so clearly... He's got his trophy, and he's also got his island. So as far as he's concerned, he's won. Um, I don't think he has his island yet. No. He is assuming he has his island. Yes. And Addie, like, does ask some, as we said, pointed questions here. Things like, how can this be sustainable? You're on a closed environment. Eventually, you're going to run out of food. Eventually, yeah. you're going to run out of plastic to print stuff with your 3D printers. Right? Like, like you can't plant an olive grove... <laughs> No. Or maybe you can, but you can't plant one sizable enough. No. So, like, what happens when you run out of olives? Yeah. Like, like what happens when you run out of resources? You are not entirely self-sustaining. And Dom kind of waves that off. Like, once we've settled this business with who owns the island, we'll establish some trade. And she's like, number one, weird. Number two, Harris Lang owns the island. And Dom just brushes it off as like, well, you know. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, I I believe what he says is possession is nine-tenths of the law. To which she replies, I don't think that uh, that'll hold up in court. He just brushes it off as like, we've got lawyers on the island and they would disagree with you. Oh, it's all bad. It's all bad. It's it's pretty bad. It's really bad. I mean, we'll we'll get there, but Dom's plan is bad. Because his plan is, let's take the island then figure out the rest. That's kind of his plan. That's a terrible plan. Yeah. Because it's not a plan. <laughs> she also kind of calls out this plan as like, what, you you put up the shield and then you question mark, question mark, question mark, and then you take over the world? Phase three profit? Like, what? You're not Elrond in this version of the story. You realize that, right? Like, you're basically Saruman. Yeah. And you don't seem to recognize that. And that actually does irk some of the the elves who are like, hey, we're the good guys here. And she's like, oh, everybody's the good guy in their version of the story. But, and she doesn't say this out loud, 10 people are dead from your plan. Right? Which I guarantee the rest of the elves don't know at this time. No, and I doubt Dom is going to tell anybody. No, he is not. He didn't care all that much when he found out. No, he did not. Right? So, major flaw in plan. Huge flaw in plan. Also, he doesn't have the buy-in from the rest of the people on the island. And that's also a huge problem. Yep. Tess and Arthur are not on board. Nope. And unless they're on board, unless everyone on that island is unified on this plan, there is no chance of success. 
Agreed. Even if Dom is able to, and this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, take full control of the island, if Arthur and Tess aren't on board, his plan will fail. Yes, because two-thirds of the island is against him. Exactly right. Let alone the outside world. Yeah, those other two-thirds aren't even aligned with each other. No. Right? They're just against him. And Arthur... So, like, everybody's warring with each other. How do you expect to take over the whole island yeah. and take it back from Harris Lang? And then you have to deal with reality on top of that. Yeah. So even his fantasy world isn't all on board, let, no. al- let alone aligned against the real world. Right? We're not. We're so far away from Theme Park 101 right now. We are into, like, delusions of grandeur. Unfortunately, though, Addie's not in a position to articulate all of this. Because she's been drinking the mead! Girlfriend, no! Yeah. She also asks, rather pointedly, who made this feast? Like, who, who cleans up? I never really thought about it at the time, but, like, where are all the servants in Rivendell? Yeah, who does the dishes in Rivendell? And it's Laralyn who actually is like, well, we all take turns. And she's like, oh, does that include Dom? Does he take a turn? And there's like an uncomfortable silence. And yep. she's like, that's what I thought. Aha. Yeah. Okay. We're all equals here. It's just some of us are a little more equal than others. Yes. Yeah. But this is this leads nicely into something I want to talk about, about Addie. Mm-hmm. I think that all of the cracks in the facade that she's been seeing this whole time, Mm -hmm. this whole book, I think that's going to be her escape. Because right now, Dom has her in a fantasy trap. Kind of, yeah. It's something I've noticed. Though she even calls it out in this chapter as a reproduction of a surface-level understanding of the source material. Oh, yes. Oh, no. (laughs) We've covered that for sure, and it is absolutely in play. That's not her exact words, but she basically calls it out as that in this chapter. Yeah, and something else I've noticed through this chapter, every time she tries to point out reality, Mm -hmm. they turn up the fantasy. Oh, yeah. Right? They go for this magical walk. She's got this beautiful gown. Oh, and Dom is showing her- Beautiful fairy lights over the wall. Yeah, Dom is showing her all the things that she would want. He lured her in with unicorns. Yep. He gives her tea. She even lamented back in the human realm, oh, I wish that there were fairies. And Arthur was like, that's on the to-do list. What does Dom have ready for her? Fairies. Fairies. Yep, right? Every time she points out reality, they turn up the fantasy. Mm -hmm. However, Dom can only offer her so much fantasy. Yep. He has to deal with reality, right? Rivendell needs to have toilets. Which is actually an underscored point later in this chapter. Yeah. Because she has to go to the bathroom at one point. (laughs) Right? Like, someone has to do the dishes. Someone needs to take out the garbage. Oh, and Torres and his team are a big dose of reality that are probably on their way. I have a suspicion of why the anti-ring didn't work, actually. Okay. We'll get there. Hold on. We'll get there. But I think... That at some point, Addie's not going to be able to ignore the cracks anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think, if you'll pardon me mixing all my metaphors together, uh, I think that's going to be her safety net. I think that's her way out. Kind of, To just acknowledge, look, we still have to deal with all of this reality. This fantasy isn't going to save me because we can't deny reality. Yeah, that's, okay. This is something I wanted to talk about a little later. So we're going to put a pin in this. Dessert gets passed around. Addie has more to drink and indulges a little bit in dessert. And then the elves clear the plates. Addie offers to help and is politely rebuffed. And Dom takes her by the arm and leads her back up to her chamber. Magical walk, fairy lights. They do have the magical walk with the fairy lights. And they have an opportunity to have a little bit more talk here. In fact, they almost start talking over one another. And Dom finally is just like, Harris Lang sent you here on purpose, didn't he? And Addie's like, 
Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. He he knew that I might be the one person who could talk to you. And Dom kind of implies like, mm, yeah, it's a little too late for talk. Yeah. Yeah. And even <laughs> says like Arthur, the first, when Arthur met me for the first time, he was like, the first thing you should do is go talk to Dom. And he's like, yeah, Arthur's <laughs> still Harris's guy though. So like that wasn't going to work out. Uh, this all loops back into like Dominic's terrible plan though. Yeah. And Dom also kind of more succinctly lays out his motivation here, which lines up with what we had kind of sussed out last chapter. Yeah. In that he feels betrayed, it's turned him against Harris. He did turn on the shield. He does have a one ring. Tess was pretty convinced that nobody had made one, but Dom does have one. And he he is practically showing it off to Addie. Yep. And she's like, well, then why haven't you taken over the island? And he lets slip something very important here. Mm-hmm. I don't have the password to Tor Camelot. Yep. And Addie realizes in that moment, oh, Arthur blabbed that to us like a day and a half ago. Yeah. So she has the password. He's got the key. Oh, no. And she's not going to give him the password. Certainly not right now. She makes a a mental note not to do it. She also makes a mental note not to tell Dom that she has it. Yeah. And it also means that Dom is not near as omniscient as Tess seems to believe that he is. Because while he does have eyes everywhere through the statues, he didn't catch that. Nope. Well, they didn't say it anywhere near a statue. Exactly right. So... She does have privileged information, Dom doesn't. She has access to the castle, and Dom desperately needs it. I feel like there's this weird underlying note of, hey, we all need to work together to make this happen. Kinda. Right? Because Arthur has the passcode, Dom's got the one ring. I'm not sure what Tess has. Something, I'm sure. Technical expertise. Right? Because she's the head of the engineering team. Which loops back into the book that we found in Tess's library, where we learned how Harris Lang seeded all of the paranoia and conflict between all of his various factions. Because he knew that if they worked together, they might be able to take the island away. But rise up against him! And also, this underscores the flaw in Dom's plan. The three teams are not on board with each other. Yeah, it's a terrible plan. This island is a terrible idea. And here's the thing. It might bear saving from Harris Lang. It's just that Dom is going about it all the wrong way. Agreed. Which is why I, I will loop back to the perfect steward for this land is Dr. Addie Cox. Agreed. Yeah, with her mercenary team. <sighs> with her mercenary team. No, They are someone, the stewards for this land. Someone needs to do theme parking 101 and actually turn it into a park for entertainment. And not a weird fantasy world to try and live in and sustain. Yeah. This is where Dom seduces Addie, I guess would be the correct way to put it. Uh, Let's be honest. At this point, it's not that difficult. No, Addie, I'm going to take this back, actually, because I think that's unfair. I think it's more accurate to say Addie lets herself be seduced by Dom. That is absolutely more accurate. Her willpower has dwindled yeah. and been chipped away at. She she does recognize early on, alone with Dom, that she is drunk and she needs a little bit of time to sober up. And she has some water and she goes to the bathroom and her head clears somewhat. They have their talk and then she lets herself get like swooped into bed by him. And he even gives her the out. He's like, you're a little drunk. You might regret this. So like, if you don't want to proceed, I am a gentleman. I understand. And she's like, no, we're doing this. <laughs> well, <laughs> In this moment, she wants to do this. Yeah. She starts it. In, Kinda, yeah. in Dom's defense, she starts it. She very much. Well, he, he puts the moves on and then she just cranks it right up to 10. Yeah. And he, he says, you'll regret this. And she goes, no, I won't. And I said, yes, you will. Yeah, you will. Girlfriend, no. No, 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 no. There was so many no's. I was screaming them in my head. 
No, 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 no. Yeah, so do we, not sleep with him. And we do end the chapter with Afterglow. Oh, Addy, why? So this is where I'm going to pull out that pin. Yeah, let's do it. Because this chapter really underscores the dramatic tension within Addie Cox in an interesting way. Because a good character is torn between what they want and what they need. Yes. Uh, that's very, like, basic, dramatic character arc stuff. This chapter is very much Addie giving into her want because what she wants is to escape into this fantasy world. Yes. And what she needs is to deal with the reality of the situation. Yes. And with the reality of her own situation. And to to a further extent, she needs to heal. Yeah. She wants to escape and leave everything behind. Yeah. She needs to heal this trauma that has been plaguing her for years. Yes. That at its core is is very much her her two dramatic poles. Yeah. This chapter is her swinging all the way over to her want. And it's it's interesting and it's dismaying in a way to see her like give in. But sometimes a character has to hit rock bottom before they can build themselves back up, it's, right? It's true. Um can I read you something that I wrote in my notes? Yes, absolutely. So I'm t- I was talking about Addie dealing with reality versus the fantasy, et cetera, et cetera, and how strong this fantasy is. Here's what I wrote. Despite that, I think Addie won't stay because she could. She could decide to walk away from her life and her problems, bury that PTSD so deep in the island that she loses all grip on reality. But she won't because she needs something deeper than a 3D printer. That is what she's going to learn after this. I think so. In the coming chapters, she's going to learn that what she wants isn't what she needs. That's right. I think we've got it. And I think that she she recognizes that already. Like, I keep saying there's all this subconscious stuff that she's seeing, but she hasn't had time to fully process because things are just happening so fast oh, to her yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. Stuff's coming at her left, right, and center here. And, like, once she consciously is aware of that stuff, it's really going to hit her probably pretty hard. Yep. And probably pretty soon. Well, yeah, because we're running out of books, so. Well, that, that. <laughs> that too. Like, yes, we are physically running out of book. Uh, and also, story-wise, like, this is as immersed in fantasy as she's probably ever going to yeah. get. This is the end of Act 2. Yeah. Reality has to come crashing through. Again, Torres and a mercenary team are on their way. Right. And this leads me to the other thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. I think that the shield hasn't come down because Torres and his team think Addie is more important. And when they realized that she was missing, they packed everything up and they went looking for her. Aww. Addie assumes that they prioritized the ring and that therefore something must be wrong. The plan didn't work. I legitimately think, and I could be wrong, it could be that the the, the anti-ring failed. I think that it is possible that Torres and his team considered her more important. And when Torres nice. And when Torres realized that she was missing, he was like, shut it down. We need to go find Dr. Cox. Yeah. She's in trouble. She's in trouble. We need to find her. I legitimately think that is a possibility. And that's not even romantic. That's just that's just sweet and and kind and good person y. Yeah. Well she's like, part of the one team. of our one of our team is missing. We are responsible for her. Yeah. We need to go find her. We're gonna go find like shut the ring can wait. We need to find Dr. Cox. Something has happened. I'm not saying that is 100% what happened, but I'm like 75% sure that that might be why the shield is still up. And it just never crossed Addie's mind that that would be a possibility. That someone would come for her? That someone would come for her. Because that's very much, she's very self-deprecating. She is. So the idea that Torres and his team might care about her enough to prioritize her safety, not crossing her mind, very reasonable to me. 
That's her survivor guilt. Yeah. Talking that someone, why why should someone come for her? She's not worth that. Yeah. But she is. But she is. And to maybe Torres they and are. His team, and maybe oh, they are. And I that's, love that. that is, again, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm like 75% of the way there. That Torres and his team dropped everything and came running to find her. Here's my wild speculation now that you've said that. Mm-hmm. They don't need an anti-ring. Because Dom has one. Because Dom has one. So if Addy can get the ring from Dom, she has she has the ring, she has the code. All they need is Addy. And she has another ring she could exchange for oh! the one ring. Because she found another ring. Because she found the other ring. Oh my God. And Dom is currently asleep in her bed. Just saying. Oh man. She could do a swaparoo and swap the one ring for the ring that she found at the Eldritch Shrine. She could. Oh, that's crazy. Just saying. It would be a huge betrayal of Dom. It would be. And it's not that he has it coming, but it would be the right thing to do. Yes. Will she do it? Who knows? I don't know. Did we'll we, have to wait and we see. We might be way off base. This might be. be this like, is this is very irresponsible is, oh, speculation. We're, we're very good at irresponsible speculation yes. around here. But uh, that is something to consider as we look at reading chapter 23, which you're going to want to do in time for next week. In the meantime, uh, you know, wherever you happen to live, hopefully there is someone covering all that hyper-local news that you want and need throughout your day. And certainly right here in Edmonton, there is an organization that has come together to provide all of that like really locally focused news and information that you're looking for. That is Taproot Edmonton. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton. Want to start your day informed? Check out The Pulse, Taproot's daily news briefing. The Pulse tells you what you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. You'll get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, plus coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. You'll also get a little bit of whimsy from features such as A Moment in History and the weekly podcast pick. And it's free! Sign up today at taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. Taproot Edmonton. Longtime supporter of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can learn more about them and all the other sponsors right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. That's also where you can find a full listing of all of the member podcasts. So many podcasts. Uh, once you find another one that you like, you can probably download it on your podcatcher of choice. Please do. That's likely where you're catching this pod. Seems right. So you could give us a little rating and review. That oh, helps yes, us out. please. Yeah, you can also reach out to us on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. Indeed. You can also send us an email. Absolutely. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much. Not just because it's Valentine's Day, but just in general. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. This is the weirdest healing journey I've ever been on. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.